to say, you haven't introed it in a while. I you just introed the last episode. I introed the last one. What you doing? Okay, while well, you guys are fighting. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome to Cafe Bullions. Um, it is a lovely whatever night you're listening to this. Um, I'm here. The pixel moon is bright tonight. <laughs> it is very bright. Or if it's uh, the pixel sun, if it's in the middle of the day. Mm. Our cafe is open uh, 24-7, so come, come take a listen, take a drink whenever you want. Uh, we're here with uh, Alex and Costa, as usual. I'm John. Uh, Susanna, unfortunately, couldn't make it tonight, but she's here with us in spirit. Um, anyway, uh, we've got a, a smorgasbord of interesting articles here tonight, um, but we'll let Alex take it away with our first one. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, sure. Thank you, John. Um, so, um, I was doing my usual... Uh, I need to work in a creative company before I'm 30 midlife crisis that 29 has brought on. And I found that tech companies employee employee benefits are like amazing when compared to the standard corporate culture of where I work, which is redacted. (laughs) Um, And it got me thinking that benefits in the workplace um, and setups, you know, are they becoming the new norm in the tech industry? Um, and the one that I found a while ago that I thought is pretty cool to bring up as a, as a launch point. Um, and then I know Costa's got a few that he's, uh, he noted as well, but, um, discord, right. It's a tool that we all use the, if you go on the discord.com forward slash jobs and you see all the perks you get for working there, um, medical dental vision plans, parental leave, fertility, adoption, and surrogacy benefits. 19 paid holidays, use what you need, sick days and four weeks of PTO. I don't remember what PTO stands for, but someone told me it's just basically, oh, pay time off. That's it. It's not per- pay time not off. personal training? Okay. Oh, oh man. Now I don't know. It could be like personal training opportunity. PTO. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It could be uh, that's yeah, personal. No, yeah, PTO. Yeah. P- paid time off? No? That's what I thought it was, PTO. Yeah, it probably yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Alex. Go on. We'll, we'll put this in the what we should have looked up before <laughs> we rocked up. Um, up to $270 per month for commuting and parking needs. And that's USD. So that's wow. like close to 500 Australian dollars for parking, commuting, all that stuff. Uh, when you're back in the office, enjoy daily catered lunch and snacks. Uh, you get a desk allowance to make your desk space yours, which, you know, we're tech people. We have shit all over our desks. Um, headphone allowance. Uh, take advantage of quarterly wellness allowance for your gym membership. Um, I thought this one was uh, very progressive. Transgender benefits. So Discord will reimburse up to 20000 for any procedure related to transition. Yeah, that's huge. Um, mm. That's huge. Yeah. twenty. And again, that's USD. So what's that? Like 30000 plus. Um, and relocation bonuses mm. for moving to San Francisco. So then I was like, okay, well then why are tech companies you know, doing this, uh, do they have, you know, the, the, the cynic in me was like, all right, do they have a culture problem where they're like, look, if you stay, we're going to give you all these things. Um, so I was doing my own digging on it and it turns out it started earliest with Google. So when they were less than a hundred people, um, they would pay Mm. to have for nannies for children's Mm. of the parents. And yeah, back when they were less than a hundred people, um, which is a, Either they got a lot of, uh, what do you call, um, investment to work with, or they knew that they were destined for bigger things and they didn't stay under 100 for very long. 
And then um, this article I was reading is pretty old, but 10 years ago, so in 2012, the company announced it would pay for families of deceased employees. It would pay 50% of their salary for 10 years, 10 regardless years. of how, well. for 10 years, regardless of how long they'd been an employee for. So if after a month, you know, they, um, they bite the proverbial dust, let's say, they will, uh, yeah, pay their salary for 10, 50% of the salary. Um, but it's not, those perks apparently aren't what draw people to a job. Um, so this article, um, by tech Republic, uh, stated that, um, job seekers tend to make compensation their first priority, which fancy that <laughs> people want to get paid. Um, after that one in five consider the perks to be an important benefit. Um, so they really factor in things like career growth opportunities, companies, culture, and the values. Um, yeah, they're more influential over the perks. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to, just wondering if you, if you both had, um, heard of similar things at tech companies, cause it seems to be a real tech yeah. and it thing. definitely is Google that started a lot of that. I think, um, I, like I've read a little bit of their story and, uh, listened to, uh, I can't even remember the name of the audio book now, but it was it was by one of the HR managers there talking about their strategy for hiring people and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, right. I think a lot of it comes back to, for them, because uh, it started out pretty much at a university uh, as a university idea. So they kind of took that kind of lifestyle mm. with them in some ways Campus and wanted culture. to create that kind of culture of mm. kind of openness and learning and development and support. Um but yeah, no, they did fantastic stuff there, really kind of setting that in motion. Um, and, you know, now you have like movies come out, like was it the internship or something or the intern yeah. where, where it's pretty much yeah. about working at Google and how everyone's riding around on seg segways and stuff like that. Owen Wilson. <laughs> oh, that's the Owen Wilson movie? <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so. Whether that's <laughs> true or not, but um, def definitely, yeah, uh, it's a tech company trend. Um and it's cool to see Discord doing it now too. Um, I, I was actually surprised to hear they're doing financially well enough to do all that stuff. I think it's awesome. Yeah, and you look at the jobs they have listed; they are looking for a ton of people. Yeah, I like. I, and, the, and the thing that I kind of mentioned was even yeah, uh, even more traditional, like in games. Uh, even in Adelaide, like Mighty Kingdom has a four-day work week. They got similar, quite similar, and progressive employee benefits. Uh, Paid parental leave, including superannuation, paid throughout parental leave, learning and development opportunities, uh, flexible work environment. Again, like everyone at the moment, remote work is possible. Uh, you can work remotely in Australia uh, and then, you know, relocation, that kind of stuff as well. Um, immutable as well in Sydney. Uh, this is a gaming uh, NFT company. They have um, competitive salary, uh, employee stock options, uh, $750 work from home uh, setup allowance, paid parental leave, employee assistance, end of year and birthday leave, internet and phone allowance, wellness benefits like uh, I think money that you can put towards mental or physical well-being, learning and development, diversity and inclusion, um, you know, kind of uh, aligning with other initiatives that uh, aimed at removing the barriers for like gender balanced teams. Uh, personal 
like fitness um, subscriptions and things like that, and then also just social events that they do. Oh, the, there's uh, the PTO, <laughs> personal training. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, PT. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, I think, I think I'm kind of like skeptical on some of, not. I'm just in general. I'm talking like employee benefits because there's a role that. And this is and this is just echoing. Uh, I listen a lot to you know a variety of different um, business people and like really good. I, I follow the Basecamp people, uh, Jason Fried and uh, David Hanemeyer Hansen. Uh, they've been running like a remote company for you know almost twenty years now. I think even more than twenty years. Um, and it's and it's kind of the balance of like where where does work start and where does it end? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. is there too much? Do, do workplaces provide too much to people, you know, and then to the point where it blends your work life uh, split into one? And and you hear this kind of thing of like Google, while it's very progressive with these kind of work benefits, at the end of the day, people end up working more hours because they yeah. have their needs cared for. And well, I mean, with Google, because they've got all their uh, meals paid for. You have your breakfast there, you have your yeah. lunch, you have your dinner. And you essentially stay there from, you know, it, it's it's easier to stay at the place of work mm. and work longer because those barriers are removed. Mm. So, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I feel, in some uh, circumstances. Almost where, sounds like a yeah, cult. <laughs> that that's point. right. It, it blends too much. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and there's another... Yeah, there's a designer that um, sort of has some really cool uh, stuff to say, Mike Montero, and he's written a couple of books about like Ruined by Design. Um, and, and even specifically looking at like from a design perspective, you've got these companies employing um, a lot of people straight out of university, like I'm talking Facebook and Google, mm. a lot of people straight out of university and they're used to that campus culture. So, they, they fit right into that um, and they kind of... I mean, his take is that they kind of bribe you with these perks and almost ask you to look the other way when you're designing things that are potentially bad for people. So, for example, social media, um, uh, you know, designing things that make social media more addictive and this kind of stuff. It's like, you know, ethically not uh, not the best, but you're almost you almost look the other way or you're kind of less likely to speak up because you have or you've been bribed in a way yeah. by all these employee benefits that you have. So, again, double-edged sword in a way. But I, I'm all for having, you know, extra perks and uh, that kind of stuff. But it's just the balance between between that. I think one thing it does do, because you could ask the question, like, rather than just having these benefits, why not just pay people more and they can use the money mm. on these things if they want? Mm-hmm. I think rather than that, what it does is it shows what the company values. Yep. So... You know, with Discord um, doing the transgender benefits, you know, they're very clearly making a statement there that they support uh, transgender rights. Uh, yep, yep. Mm. You know, with immutable uh, paid parental leave. I mean, they've got a whole lot of things there, which is good, I think. Um, yep. But uh, I guess they're trying to push, you know, pers- personal health there, personal mm. uh, stuff like that. But if you... I. I I would almost prefer like a company to pick, you know, a few things that are in line with that actual like core mission and vision mm. because then then it would attract like that kind of person to the company, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. I, yeah, yeah, agreed. And, and I think I think things like four-day work week, like it's very clear 
you work within these hours and then you don't work outside those hours. You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a really cool way of splitting um, your work and life balance. You know, it's, it's a perk that I feel is, is quite good uh, in terms of, yeah, making that distinction of when to work and when not to work. That you've you've both like uh, lifted the veil on this for me because I, I am I am a goldfish brain. I see this stuff and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, I want stuff to put on my desk. I'll take that allowance. But then, yeah, now I'm reading through the lines. You're you're both the lawyers I need before I sign any of these kind of papers because I'm looking at this stuff now. I'm like, you're right. Like parental leave, medical, dental, meals, uh, paying for. Um, you know, people look after your kids. They want to keep you there as long as they can. <laughs> like just, and, and not well, just may, like long-term, well, may, just for yeah. the day. Well, maybe not everyone. I mean, it's it also just comes down to the attention, intention of the company and the founders and, you know, what the, like, um, yeah, I mean, every company is going to be different. Like, and I, I guess it's, it's where you, you, I mean, you, you ultimately, you ultimately make the decision on like what you want to work on and your hours and that kind of stuff. But if you're being pushed to do more than that, you know, it's a, it makes it easier for you to work, like to work there longer. But at the end of the day, it's your choice. You seen that thing on uh, LinkedIn? The, um, if, uh, if a workplace says we're like a family in the job interview, you get out of yeah. there. Because right. they're going to ask exactly, you to stay back. That's exactly and- right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, that's what the, a lot of this stuff kind yeah. of feels like a little bit. Like, I'm not, I mean, I know Costa and I are being pretty cynical here. I think yeah, we are. I, I, I think bad we, cop. I, I'm assuming we both think that most companies are actually doing this for very good reasons and it is a mm. very good thing. But it's that's right. It, it is definitely a bit of a smokescreen and it is a way to get in the news as well. It's like a good marketing tactic. Yeah. And so, yeah. And to be fair, like, I'm sure they didn't intend this on purpose, but like you look at the images on the discord website and it's just a bunch of programmer guys working there like it doesn't mm. look like the most diverse mm. audience um like so you know when it says things like in that other article about how um one in five consider the perks now granted this was mm. eight years ago that article was made that said that one in five so you know maybe people have sweetened up to it maybe they haven't but at least at some stage, one in five considered it. Um, yeah. And but they considered culture more important. Mm. Yeah. But and that's so. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. It's like on the other hand, it's kind of. I think a lot of companies are putting this in place because, as everyone knows, there's this trend of the you know the great resignation lately, where people just won't um, stick around if a if a place is bad. You know, there's mm. so many opportunities out there that these companies have to improve the, you know, the employee experience to be able to um, to attract talent. Otherwise, they just they can't retain the talent. Um, and so, you know, it makes sense that everyone's um, making the, you know, the yeah, the employee experience better. And it's it's ultimately going to be a good thing. Otherwise, like I said, you could join, you could get a job uh, that has all these perks, but if the culture isn't right, yeah. then just like leave and you know i'm saying this as if you know (laughs) having a job is a good thing but in some of these like design and software stuff like there's so many opportunities out there can we make a fake sports company like nike and it's just just leave just leave (laughs) just get out are you saying nike is a fake sports company (laughs) (laughs) no i'm saying we make our own nike (laughs) a fake one but just with that slogan just get out just leave (laughs) just get out well just get outside that should be the slogan there you go. There's yeah. your 
There you go. Probably not. The, I mean, yeah, now that 20 is over. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm not very up to date with uh, how the COVID landscape is looking. Yeah. If we if we want oh, people outside yet. Old news, man. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. Well, now, <laughs> yeah. We've just crossed over into a conspiracy theory podcast. So let's go. <laughs> <laughs> now it's all about the, uh, the giant praying mantises. <laughs> oh, you don't know about the giant no, praying mantises? No, on that one. Oh, What's- mate. That, is that seriously that the biggest news at the moment? <laughs> I don't know. What's, what's up with that? I, 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 I don't know. I just a, a Goosebumps book randomly popped into my head. And I mean, it was a giant praying mantis. Oh, on it. I thought it was like maybe a plague that we're currently having or something. <laughs> I've seen giant moths around Adelaide. That was a freaky day. Right. Did you guys feel the earthquake the other day? Yeah. Yeah. It's big I news did not. I slept through it. Well, there's my conspiracy. <laughs> Why is it whenever there's an earthquake in Adelaide, it happens at seven in the morning while I'm asleep? It's never been three in the afternoon, an earthquake. It's always in the morning, which makes me think you all just had like a a sleep hypnosis or something. I don't know. (laughs) The mole people choose their times well. Burrowing under uh, Adelaide. What do they want with Adelaide? What do we have here? Good. I guess we've got good soil down in McLaren Barrel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh... But um, we will rebuild, as I say. Yeah. Well, um, just, sorry, one more thing I wanted to say on that, though, is because we've talked about, um, you know, workplace culture and how it's like, you know, can be good or bad. I guess that's very dependent on the person themselves mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Because I know, you know, so different people are driven by different things. And like, I know some people um, are very, you know, they want that pay packet. Like the article said, that's one of the biggest things. Other people, you know, they want just enough security, but then they want creative freedom. And other people, you know, don't care about the money at all for whatever reason. Um, so, I guess that is one thing where, again, if, you know, these perks, if they're kind of strategically chosen, then they would be trying to get certain type of people as well, I think. So. Also, Yeah, yeah, you're right. And mm-hmm. I think also the role that these jobs are, like, these are very hard jobs to get into um very demanding very stressful um you know kind of not, not not just the actual role itself but i, I think kind of like what it also just what it symbolizes mm. and what it signifies like you know if you're i don't know what i'm trying to say but like these feel like very contentious not contentious companies but they have the ability to turn content like that's one of the like anti-perks if you will like you know like <laughs> here's our anti-perks uh, you work for google and you know maybe the ceo does what i mean there you're kind of safe but like what am i getting at <laughs> i don't Bring know it, no, it, i want to see this list of anti-perks <laughs> on someone's website well like you know just say you work for activision right like mm-hmm. activision blizzard now, if you're in the in the linkedin business world people post every day right they're like Oh, I just got a job at Activision Blizzard and people are generally happy for it. You move over to the Twitter world, mm. like they do not like Activision Blizzard over that. Well, more of that, just the internet in general aren't happy with them, but the individuals themselves. So the, the working for some of these giant tech companies expose workers. Like, you know, we now live in a world where like if I go to see the Batman and I didn't like the visual effects or something, I can at the person who made those visual effects yeah. and, you know, bully them. Mm. Like, it's. I think there's a nugget of what I'm trying to say in there. Like, do the, are these per, like are these very stressful jobs where? Oh, and so the know. perks are there to kind of pad it out a bit. And yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, well, there are like yeah. 
uh, I don't know what percentage of jobs, but like uh, counseling is something that's I've heard come up more as a perk at jobs. You know, as workplaces yeah. realize, you know, if their workplace is quite stressful or whatever and they're having, you know, turnover of staff, then they're introducing kind of counseling options. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, for, for example, I just, I'm just looking up right now a job at a, uh, a company within Activision, like a subsidiary, and I'm just looking for a random job just to see what the job listing has. Um, and does not, I mean, it has, in terms of perks, it just kind of mentions um, what Activision is, uh, mentions... You know, it doesn't doesn't actually list perks like this. It's kind of, you know, here's the risk. Here's what you have to do uh, in the job, and it has like a player profile, which is uh, your skills that are required for it. Um, but it doesn't you need have- to be a fifteen or above in programming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, interesting. Like interesting to see how the different companies um, actually do it. And I guess it comes down to the thing of like, what is what is the right kind of culture to have and what, what are the right kind and and like you touched on john like the the perks the perks are going to be some perks are going to uh be more important to some than to others and it really is down to the individual mm. yeah yeah and it's um i have a friend of mine who applied for a job recently and in the fir first or second interview Turned, they turned the job down in the interview because mm. they were like, describe the culture for me. Mm. And they were like, uh, uh, uh. And they were like, all right, no. Nah. Oh, the, the like, interviewers couldn't this. answer the question. They couldn't answer it or like they wouldn't tell me what they <laughs> uh, said, but good. they basically, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they couldn't even describe what it is. They didn't see the importance of a culture yeah. or something like that. And they were just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not even going to take this any further. It's like, there's so much more power so much now power. on the employee. Yeah, that's De right. Isn't yeah, it? definitely. Well, that's so good though, because I mean, people always say as an interviewee, you're meant to be asking questions as well. Mm. Um, and I think it, I've always found that's helped me <laughs> in interviews because uh, it shows that you're actually like thinking about the job that you're applying for, kind of thing. Mm. Um, and, and whether, yeah. you know, and they, it helps them kind of get a sense of whether you'll be the right fit for the culture from their end as well. It's if a great they, position if they to they know end, what that culture is. Yeah, it's a great position to be in, but then it's like a lot of. Uh, early, you know, people who are early in, the, in their careers, yeah. it's so, there's, especially in games, I mean, everyone sees it, there's so many, say, game graduates coming out and not enough jobs to fill, it becomes extremely competitive in the power dynamic flips where, you know, you're lucky enough to get that job, like, you're, there might be a thousand people applying yeah. for one job and you're lucky to get it and, you know, I mean, you can, I guess, turn around and say no to it, obviously, but just to get your foot in the door um, in that kind of highly competitive industry, it's like very much there isn't when, as much. Yeah, Very much when people feel like it's, you know, if you're applying at, you know, let's say the one big studio in your town or whatever, <laughs> and you feel like you don't have other options to go to, that's definitely mm. not a good thing. <laughs> mm, so, that's right. Mm. I mean, no one's doing anything wrong there, but it doesn't create kind of a good kind of environment for that people finding the right place for them. Yeah, the w the win is when that big town, big you know studio in your town is has the right perks and is a good company. Yeah. 
This hypothetical yeah. uh, rural Hypo- town is, of yeah, course, Adelaide. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, and this company is definitely the uh, old wheat mill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> Coca Cola. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, the brewery. <laughs> yeah, the brewery. <laughs> Coopers. Let you take home anything you can fit in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, cool. All right, Costa. I see you playing that little handheld game over there. Tell me, what what, what, what do you got to discuss today? Well, uh, as a matter of fact, so does, anyone, does everyone here know John Romero? Surely. Oh, yeah. He's a household he's a, name. He's a god in the games. Uh, <laughs> Pretend I don't. <laughs> so John Romero is the um, co-founder of id Software back in the day, and he worked on uh, Doom, Doom 1, Doom 2. Um, I think he was the level designer on it or the, the game designer on it. Um, and was, was it him? Sorry, that I think he's super respected because he was one of the first people to do like 3D graphics in games. Or uh, I think it was 3D? John Carmack. So oh, it was okay. two of them, John Carmack and John Romero. I think Carmack was more the technical one uh, okay. and Romero was more the designer. But uh, Gotcha. And it's the actual true final boss in Doom 1. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so to support uh, the people of Ukraine and the humanitarian efforts of the Red Cross and the UN Central Emergency Response Fund, uh, John Romero has uh, pledged to release a new Doom 2 level for a donation of five euros. So 100% of proceeds go towards these agencies. It's yeah, and I mean it's it's cool to see that a um, he's going back and making like an old like he's remaking levels for this game that was done like twenty twenty five years ago or something twenty years ago. yeah twenty five years ago, um, and two it's that all the proceeds are going to uh, helping the people of Ukraine in these yeah really difficult times and I've seen so many more. Uh, things pop up as well that I don't have listed here, but there's so many more, uh, um, yeah, ways to support the people in Ukraine and and especially from even from game developers, I've seen a lot of different things pop up that um, can support them. So, yeah, it's a really good cause. I think it's really cool. Um, I looked it up. So the <clears throat> the game's called One Humanity, which feels kind of like telling like yeah, you know like the uh, like there's like yeah, yeah on the nose yeah like there's a message behind that yep. one humanity um i can't play the game because it gives me nightmares no <laughs> i can't play the game because you actually need an you need a proper copy of um doom 2 uh to buy and then you need a program to load i think basically mods onto it so you got it you can apparently you can buy it on steam so you buy it for like seven dollars something australian so i'm planning to do that after we Finish today. Um, you can you buy the original game, and then you got to get this software that lets you mod it or something, and then it will let you port it. Um, but there's let's plays online, so mm. I, I did a, a, a video of a watch a, of a um, a let's play of it, and um, I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any like how. Like if there's any references to anything, yeah, like yeah, if it was yeah. like a subtle flag, no, nah, there wasn't anything like that. Like it's just, it's just a doom. Not I say it's just, I mean like it's not a, um, it's not hiding some kind of message mm, as far mm, as I mm. could tell. It's it's just a um, game, but yeah, no, it looks a lot of fun. Looks like a lot of fun. It's so 
Oh my god! Like you, you can tell just how much has changed in the world of first person. Like you, you can't look up in these games. Yeah. Like you just shoot, That's and if right. there's an enemy above That's you, right. you just yeah. know it's yeah, yeah, you know what's happening. But um, uh, yeah, no, it 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 lo- looks pretty. Cool. I love how it's somehow turned Doom into a po- you know it's like the most bloody. Well, back then it was you know the most bloody, gory game, and it's like being used as a way of raising funds for <laughs> you know supporting people. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah, turning yeah, yeah. it's like turning into a serious game. You know, it's like for the, for the better of humanity in some way. <laughs> they want me to do this. Yeah, shoot um, demons for Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Let's do it, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe go on a, a, a side tangent of, um, cause I was looking at this, I was doing some research on it and then I was clicking on another link and then another link. And, uh, there's a GDC talk that came out January, I think January this year before, at least, you know, if it was going on, at least before it became news that of everything that's going on over there, but basically the state of the, um, video game industry over in the Ukraine. Oh well, yeah. Um, There's huge studios there. Hey, like, uh, I think Ubisoft has a, has an office there. I think they do. It's a pretty big uh, community there. Um, yeah, they've got uh, war gaming as well. Yeah, there's something like thirty thousand employees nationally working in video games over in the Ukraine. Apparently, it's a big like. So there's a video on YouTube. Um, we'll post a link to it. That's a, a GDC talk, and it's by. Um, oh my God, why did I close the tab? Um, but it's from, I think, someone who works in hiring. So they're looking mm-hmm. at the data globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not globally, sorry, nationally of who's working in games. And it's, Ukraine's got a population of like 40 something million, I looked up. Mm-hmm. So it's like roughly double Australian. Um, but more uh, statistic, uh, um, comparatively, it's more than double working in games and what is working in Australia. Like, I think there's like 30,000 people. There's over a thousand video game companies or, or, or no, maybe there's like 300 studios. I can't remember what the, the number is, but it's roughly like a thousand people working at a company. Yep. But a lot of it is, I think either they're doing the outsourcing or they're, they are getting outsourced from Europe. There's a lot of ties to European mm-hmm, companies mm-hmm, right. and a big part of their, um, their player base is called, I think, Casual Casino. It's called something mm-hmm. like that. So it's like free-to-play kind of mm. casino games, I think. Yeah. Well, um, I do have like... Actually, there is an article that I found, which was around like the different game developers that are helping Ukraine and, and how you you might be able to jump in and, and help out as well. Um, there's been a lot of uh, game pu- publishers like GOG.com. Uh, they're supporting... Uh, 11-bit studios and Beetlewing, which I think are um, other studios that uh, are donating to the storefront's uh, profits. So if you buy a couple of games from these different companies, um, the, the the profits will go straight to supporting uh, people in Ukraine. Wargaming, which is in Kiev, uh, is actually donating a million dollars to the Ukrainian Red Cross. Wow. Um and Ukraine-based employees there are are actually uh, find they're f- helping them find alternative uh, like alternate housing. Funcom is uh, do- is actually donating a hundred thousand dollars of proceeds from the sale of Conan Chop Chop um, to the Red Cross's Ukraine fund. Oh wow, which is really awesome. Um, Embracer Group 
which is the parent company of THQ Nordic, Koch Media and more, is donating a million dollars to various humanitarian aid charities. Um, and the CEO himself, Lars, is personally matching the donation with another million dollars. Uh, Think Trunk is, I don't know if I got that right, is donating all of its income from sales of Book of Demons on PC to NGOs that take care of Ukrainian refugees. So yeah, I'll, I'll drop this link in the description, but there's so many ways like game developers are jumping in and you can, um, yeah, buy some of these games and support the support them directly. So if you actually buy Conan Chop Chop, $100,000 of, of proceeds um, will go and support, uh, yeah, Red Cross in Ukraine. So just, really awesome. awesome. I just found on the flip side of the coin, uh, there's a number of game developers who are freezing or pulling games and content from Russia as protests as well and I guess trying to clamp down, put the pressure on Russia. Um, you've got Bluber Team, uh, known for its work in horror games like The Medium. It's going to pull its games from sale in Russian uh, Belarus. CD Project Red is going to mm. suspend digital sales and physical shipments of their games to uh, Russia and Belarus. Um, which I was reading up about that. That's apparently 5% of their sales, which, you know, 5% yeah. sounds small, but that's a lot. Pro- City yeah. Project Red. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, yeah, there's uh, EA as well. It's pulling Russian clubs from FIFA 22, FIFA Mobile, FIFA Online. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, oh, and CSC Game World ceasing development on Stalker 2, Heart of Chernobyl until the invasion ends so there's it's there's also yeah. um itch bundles getting made um so someone's made a huge call for uh games to get added um as of six days ago today they've um they just closed they closed the submissions um so there'll be a look out for that an itch bundle to support um also that youtube video that's it, it's called uh so the the person who gave the gdc talk alina mudreya the state of Ukrainian game industry. So if you've got an interest in that and want to see uh, what their industry is made up of. Yeah, so yeah, roughly 400 teams and branches, 30,000 employees. Huge. Um, yeah. One of the hard things I find uh, about the like stopping sending things to Russia is that, I mean, it's a real complex issue, obviously, but like... Mm. No, let's the, tackle it on yeah, this. Yeah, why not? We tackle everything else here. So, um, like, this is punishing all the Russian people for yeah things that are probably out of a lot of their control. So, um, and I do worry a little bit about the kind of damage it's doing there um, in that way. And obviously, we don't have to solve this conflict yeah. <laughs> on this show. But it's yeah. more it's more like, all right, so everyone's kind of... Oh, let's say jumping on the bandwagon, that's probably a bit too harsh, but jumping on the bandwagon of, all right, you know, obviously we don't want this war to be happening, this invasion to be happening. Um, but, you know, jumping straight to cutting off sales to Russia and Russian people and stuff like that, it's it's excommunicating them from the gaming world in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Having their teams pulled out of FIFA and stuff like that, it's a pretty harsh thing to do. Um, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'm guessing that the what they're trying to do is to kind of make the Russian people angry enough to try and then like overthrow their own government or something mm. like that. But, you know, obviously that's not a country where you can easily have that 
discussion. So, um, yeah. I mean, I feel for like I don't have a lot of friends over there, but I, I know at, at least one person over there, uh, a musician. Um, and from what I know, talking to him, I don't think he would be supporting any of the stuff that Putin's mm. doing and stuff like that. So, and I also know he's a massive Tekken fan. So, mm. <laughs> I hope he still gets to play Tekken. I don't, I don't know. So, yeah, mm. and it's. I mean, it's interesting if you think when you think of it from the games like perspective, because it you're right, like it affects so many people, you know, and even restricting things like Apple restricting, I think, the App Store or, you know, Visa and MasterCard, like restricting that, it's going to cut off, yeah, a lot of uh, opportunity, um, which obviously is the, the, the reason they're doing it, but then it affects people like, say, even a person wanting to buy a video game. You know, it makes it significantly harder for them to want to do that. And then game developers themselves that might live in Russia, like mm. a lot, it's so, it's so it'll be so much more difficult to get paid as a game developer or a freelance, you know, developer or freelance artist or designer. It'll just make things a lot more difficult for those people. Um, and yeah, you know, there's, there's people that I know uh, that are working, uh, that, that are from Ukraine, from Russia, and they both you know it's hurting them on both sides um and and yeah you know obviously people aren't supporting aren't very supportive of what's happening um from russia's perspective and yeah it's just it's a very tough situation um but it's it's moments like these where it's really awesome to see that the entire uh ecosystem and the entire uh community of game developers around the world are uniting for this and uh supporting you know this cause and and coming together and raising money and every, so many people just donating all their profits from games over the next you know week month uh just straight to this as well so it's really yep. cool yep yeah i think we solved the crisis <laughs> <laughs> Go team! <laughs> I was just gonna say, oh, well, all proceeds from cafe bullions from this episode <laughs> go to. Uh, how much money do we make on this show again? <laughs> you can uh, donate to any of the charities that we mentioned, and we'll leave Don't some links to in us. the donate to Don't charity. donate to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are doing okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, that's a good idea. Yeah, we should definitely. Um, link to link to some of the things that we can we can do mm, for sure. Um, Sorry, for the record, now, audience, in case that was clear, uh, we make zero dollars <laughs> on this show. <laughs> so, it's not that we're doing so well that we're saying don't donate to us. It's uh, we we are not financially driven here, so donate yeah. straight to the charity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, John, you got something about? Uh, I see you're over there playing. Uh, yeah. Gran Turismo Seven. Speaking of sports, I don't know if Russia's still in this or not, but um, yeah, car racing is, you know, one of those very exciting sports that I know absolutely nothing about. So if there's anyone <laughs> who wants to join the show at any point and enlighten us on a bit more about it, uh, but I was reading a Kotaku article uh, about Gran Turismo Seven and uh, how it features Lewis Hamilton very heavily um and in case you don't know lewis hamilton he's one of the rock stars in the racing world at the moment it has been for a little while pretty sure there's netflix shows about him and stuff like that now too um but this article was saying uh that it features him very prominently and it uh 
it shares a lot of his kind of history and his story, but it um, leaves out certain things which would maybe tarnish his story a little bit. Um, and not, not just tarnish, but um, just certain key facts. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to kind of bring this up, talk about it, um, and then I guess, you know, if anyone here knows about Lewis Hamilton and racing, that would be fantastic. But also the wider discussion about, you know, featuring people in games and kind of telling stories accurately. How do we do that and how is that important? Let me stand up on this diner table and uh, does anyone here know about uh, F1 or sports? We're gamers. We don't know anything. I think someone just walked through the door. Uh, I might know a thing or two. Oh, hello. Fine, oh, sir. Hello. Is that, is hey, that fellas. Jed? Fancy seeing you here. What are you doing here in the diner? Ah, uh, just grabbing my fourth coffee of the day. You know how it is. You just heard the words <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, didn't you? <laughs> I heard, well, yes. I heard Gran Turismo and I was like, huh? My head's picked up. <laughs> So you, you know you know a bit um, about the racing scene, do you, Jed? Um, I'm a huge F1 fan. All right, enlighten so. us. <laughs> um, well, I can't really speak on the Gran Turismo side of things because I don't actually own a PlayStation, a PS4 or 5. Um, the last Gran Turismo game I played was uh, Gran Turismo 2, like on the PS1. So... Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it's it's an interesting angle, like, that this... Because um, I read the same article. Um, it's an interesting angle they took. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they're kind of singling Hamilton out like that. Um, he's, like, an ambassador of their game, so obviously they're not going to speak negatively about him. So what does it say in the um, article? Basically, it, it said that... Um, it's kind of like prophesizing Hamilton. It shows it's like got like an exhibition of his career from, you know, his difficult childhood to becoming, you know, the greatest driver ever, basically. Um, but it's criticizing Gran Turismo's lack of showing the negative side of his career, which, I mean, in my opinion, uh, someone who's been following like Formula One for. I don't know, over like 15 years, so since Hamilton's been racing in F1, um, he's not the most controversial <laughs> character, really. I, I mean, he's like, like Schumacher is, like Michael Schumacher is the the OG, like he's the mm. big one, like he's the name that everyone knows. You ask someone who, like, name a Formula 1 driver, they go Michael Schumacher. Mm. He is like a lot more controversial, you know, he won a championship by... Arguably, driving into another driver. Oh wow! Okay, crashing them out uh, in Adelaide. By oh the really? Way. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Um, so you know, for him, he's a lot more controversial than Hamilton. Mm. This feels like an article written by someone who's not a Hamilton fan, <laughs> basically. But like, yeah, um, he's been like an ambassador for Gran Turismo since. Um, the release of Gran Turismo Sport, I'm pretty sure, in 2017. Yeah, they were, they were saying um, since that one came out, uh, they've been calling him the maestro in Gran Turismo. And in, yeah, in this bit, one, uh, yeah. Gran Turismo 7, he's cre in the opening credits, it says the maestro, um, then his name underneath. So I did see yeah. that. I mean, unfortunately, like I wish I could actually see the museum exhibition in-game thing that they've got, but 
there's no clips or anything online. Yeah, on that, so. I took a quick look before on YouTube and couldn't see it either. But I saw they've because um, I think they call it in uh, Brand Central is the kind of mode or the menu where you see it. Um, and there's right. a museum in there. Um, I did see they've got you know other kind of stories or histories of uh, different kind of uh, manufacturers in Brand Central as well. Um, and I would imagine it would probably be similar where they don't tell a lot of the kind of real kind of negative or dodgy things in there. I don't know. Um, but Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, it's kind of like, yeah, a massive tribute to, yeah. you know, the greatest drivers, I mm. guess. And, I mean, to be fair, Gran Turismo really isn't like a, a hardcore game for like, for like hardcore racing fans. You know, it's meant to be like accessible by you know, any pleb who can just pick up a controller and drive a car. Mm. Um, you know, there's other games out there for, you know, hardcore um, racers who want proper simulation. But, yeah, at the end of the day, um, I guess the whole Hamilton angle is, like, introducing him to a new generation of kids who play yeah. the new Gran Turismo game, you know? Right, I, I, didn't, and, I didn't know he raced that long. Because... Um, uh... Yeah, and then I look him up. He's like, I thought he was going to be like 23 years old. He's like 37. Mm. Yeah, he's one of the older drivers now. Oh my God. But, I mean, like, you know, love him or hate him, he's, um, you know, statistically the greatest driver ever. He has the most wins. Yeah, really? And he's equal on championships with Michael Schumacher. Yeah, wow. Just Devin. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just an interesting angle that they've taken with it. Like, I mean, he's doing something good mm. for the game. Um, you know, he's he wears the logo mm. on the side of his helmet. Yeah, I know. Um, like... So every time he mm. wins, he gets up there and you see Gran Turismo on the side of his helmet. Weren't you saying something about um, there's a challenge in the game to, like, race him? Yeah, so I think that's that was his, like, initial, like, first involvement, like, in... Um, in Gran Turismo Sport, um, he made a bunch of challenges on, I think, like, 10 or 12 different circuits. And it was like a time trial test where you could basically race against, like, Hamilton's time and try to beat him. Now, is this Hamilton um, driving a car or playing the game? Because what if he's, like, really shit at playing the game? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's funny because there's, like, memes of him. Because he was playing the game, but right. there's, like, memes showing him playing Gran Turismo <laughs> and he's playing it on like like a huge curved screen mm. but uh I think it's on PS4 and it can like only support <laughs> like 16:9 ratio so the TV's just stretched it out oh, no. like so it's like super like squashed and people are like what the hell is he playing like that <laughs> and then and then he also plays like in chase cam which is the camera like behind uh -huh. the car, <laughs> and that's how he plays. And pe and like, but like the hardcore racers, you know, they play in like cockpit yeah. mode, so it's like full immersion. And they're like, "This is an F1 know, driver. He's playing on the chase cam." <laughs> and, and and like his excuse was like, I, "I could see the track better from the sky." True, you know. Oh, I I just assumed you meant like. Uh, cameras like facing out the exhaust port kind of way like you see the like <laughs> oh backwards you know like some of those racing <laughs> games have that weird view yeah. like like Grand Theft Auto style yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, behind, oh, yeah up above behind <laughs> the see car see if this is something they start uh, doing in real life now that he said it they'll, they'll have a drone chasing the cars and have a screen inside the real cars so they can have that third person view <laughs> while they're driving 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure they've tested they've things tested like it. that. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh my yeah. god. Um, yeah. But I think, like, yeah, at the end of the day, like, um, uh, F1 doesn't have a huge involvement, really, with anything outside of F1. So I think it's, like, pretty cool that Hamilton's involved in Gran Turismo. Yeah. Um, Good because. Yeah, like it, it, it's super exclusive for what they are. Like you know, they've got their own video games, which you know some people love, some people hate. Um, but you know, Hamilton's kind of like bringing it to a wider audience, making it more kind of mm. like like bringing more awareness mm. to that to that sport. Yeah, mm. the, yeah. the thing that people aren't like considering is what if it was his decision to to omit those things from. Well, that's this, a good point. You know I mean, they're, t- they're talking about it's like a disservice, like Gran Turismo has chosen that. But what if it was as part of this partnership? It's just like, no, I don't want that covered in a video game. Like, it's it's not as if it's, you know, Ayrton Senna, who ha- has been dead for so many years that mm. people go through and, you know, pick nitpick things. Like, these are recent events that occurred, like, 10 years ago. It's still fresh. It's still, you know, it's a partnership with a person that currently is still around talking about his career up to this point. It's not it's not like you're going back and doing an analysis mm. on someone that had his career 30 years ago, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, you like that's exactly right. Like he is still in the sport. He's still racing, he's still yeah. competitive. Um if this like if it was like a kind of like look back on his career that had like he's retired, he's moved yeah. on from F1, that's right. like, you know, like his career is still going. Yeah. Like, why would he want to bring know, negativity? He, he would have won the championship. That's right. Why would he want to bring negative? Yeah. Why would he want to bring negativity to light? You know, th- issues and clashes that have occurred between him and other teammates who he probably still races with some of them. Like, you know, in a competitive way. Why would he put? Why would he want to put that in a video game to you know <laughs> immortalize essentially? Like, yeah, exactly. I think the because the article closes with the line like. The goal is obviously veneration, mm. which is what yeah. you're saying. Like, but that flies in the face of everything Hamilton has ever used his platform for. Um, so in tripping over itself to fawn over the Hamilton, the legend, it does Hamilton the man a disservice, which, I mean, like, everything Hamilton has ever used his platform for. I mean, his platform is basically, like, you can do anything mm. if you try. So... Like that's a real positive statement. Yeah. It, like, um, it's it's interesting. I mean, because I'm like reading the article again at the same time, and I I'm a little conflicted as to what the author is actually trying to say. If that makes sense, it's so it's almost like he's saying they've left out all the bad bits, but then he says actually no, they've left out some good bits too. So they left out, I think it was three championships that he won. But it must and then be it kind like of goes back thing. to some complex bad bits and it kind of like then gets to the end and it says that it's not real bad bits like you said he's not that controversial but they've still left it out so it's kind of yeah it's a i i think in on first read i was like okay they're saying they're ignoring these dirty spots on his career but i don't think that's actually what the author is saying um yeah i'm a little confused here so so, um people people should read it for themselves but yeah there's definitely a Mm -hmm. message of not telling the whole story it feels very nitpicky yeah. well, what it is. Yeah. While we have a uh, fan of F1 here and we have a UX designer and uh, people who have all played the Switch, I just sent you all a link in the chat to uh, an F1 steering wheel. Now tell me that doesn't look like, like <laughs> if I know nothing about F1, 
if I saw a YouTube video that was like, oh, this is the prototype for the Switch or the Steam Deck, I would be like, okay, I could kind of <laughs> see that. Um, and if for those who don't know, just Google F1 steering wheel. I don't even know if this is current. Um, uh, Jed, can you see that link? What are we looking at? <laughs> I have no idea what the hell that is. <laughs> like, yeah, it's pretty intense. There's a lot of buttons. Isn't that um, the handheld version um, of the Neon Genesis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they shift gears from the steering wheel, hey? Yeah, it's got like the paddles The paddles, on the back. yeah, that's it. But like a steering wheel like this costs like uh, like anywhere from like fifty to $100,000. Like these are like, like, yeah, super expensive. Like there's so much technology in that one thing. Um, but uh, like they have recreated this like configuration for like simulator races um i think there's like a i think it's thrustmaster or someone who does um steering wheels like this um so you can map every single button to a control on the car for like that full immersion mm-hmm. i think that's like something really cool like it's you know they're trying to replicate uh physical racing in you know someone's home like for the consumer as much as possible for like someone who can't afford to drop like 20 grand for a track day yeah right um costa as a ux designer Uh what do you make of this (laughs) like yeah yeah i mean it's not the uh (laughs) it's not the most straightforward thing i've seen um there's a couple of buttons there that i'm like okay that makes sense like talk and okay i can see like what they would be used for but um, <laughs> this okay requires for? a bunch what was that what, what would okay be for? i'm guessing some message pops up and you can okay or like some way to communicate through the, <laughs> or like or like they they'll tell the driver of the radio okay. like you know drive yeah, slower yeah. and then they'll just hit okay instead of using the radio. Yeah. I mean, but so it definitely talk. looks as if it needs. Does BW mean black and white? And is PC personal computer? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, you know what the the bottom one seems to be obviously uh, some way to switch the modes and then like radio int. I can see that like brightness display dash volume and that kind of stuff like it's some, wait, some sort of menu wait. switcher number three is exit <laughs> is that that's how you get out of the menu is it <laughs> yeah, yeah it must be right switch turn <laughs> turn, Probably, turn yeah. the dial to exit and then wait and then the, no, that ejects you out of the f1 <laughs> and then the ones, uh, yeah i don't yeah 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 look it probably could be better that <laughs> it could be better <laughs> that looks so confusing all right guys check out uh, i just said in the chat um turns out that racing games are not the only games that you get your own special controller for um, if we've oh, got no. any oh, wow. fans of Train Simulator here, <laughs> I have seen uh, Sean in the Discord post something about this. But I think before. Oh, fantastic! So this is—I just found this on Google—the uh, Rail Driver Desktop Train Cab Controller. So if you're playing, you know, any Train Simulator game, you can hook this up oh, and awesome. get the full. It works experience. on trains with a Z. 2004. <laughs> it's compatible. <laughs> compatible all the way back to XP. Oh, fantastic! Oh my god, that's impressive. <laughs> quite impressive uh, unfortunately only compatible for my I think that's what's MSTS Microsoft Train Simulator only on XP <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn it no way but Train Simulator 2021 is fully compatible across the board so yeah, we're talking. there you go you can still use it 
4.3 kilos. <laughs> oh it's one of those things wow. where like, I wonder, because you can hook these controllers up to any game. And um, I don't know if you guys ever tried with like the Guitar Hero controllers. Uh, or you've seen videos of people playing just like plat- platformers oh, yeah. with them and <laughs> random games with them. It's always impressive. Nah. Or like uh, d- uh, the Dance Dance Revolution, like the, the they would map the... Yeah. Yeah. Those oh mats. I think on GameCube they had one of those rollout mats for. I think it was like Mario had their own dance dance game on GameCube where it would have an interactive oh. thing and people started mapping that to just like weird stuff. <laughs> the internet is unbeatable. Yeah. This is this is a this is a good little uh, sub forum of um of just like weird get like not just i know we've done like weird game consoles but just like real world peripherals in games oh, like even yeah. like um flight simulator yeah like, there's some people with like full <laughs> proper like setups on their desk to like emulate like a boeing triple seven or something like that oh my god what could you imagine okay what's what's some fire like no like some something incredibly niche like there, there submarine was one. simulator we, or something okay we mentioned this. I on told a, you get out of my condan deck, mom. We, we mentioned this on a previous uh, episode, and I I don't have it here right now. But there was a peripheral for Super Nintendo or something, which was to remind kids to uh, do that diabetes shot or to check their oh, yeah, blood yeah, pressure. The gl- gluco boy. Oh, the Gluco Boy. The Gluco, the gluco boy, boy. That was the one. The Game Boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or the be- that's right. Yeah. The best one that I is uh if you have has anyone ever played Res? It's like a no. uh, real uh, LSD trippy game designed, I think, by Sega on the Dreamcast, but then it was on the PS2, and I think it's been on the 360 and on maybe on the PS4, and it's now in VR actually as well in oh, Oculus. Wow. But on PS2, when uh, when they re-released it on PS2, they released it with a an an add-on like a hardware. It was literally a block like this. I'll see if I can find a photo, and it's it just vibrates. It, you sit on it while you play the game and it vibrates. <laughs> yep. Oh, wow. It's like those um, shaker seats like in cinemas yep. that when they were like, when 3D first came out, they had like <laughs> yep. s- seats that shook oh for like God. that extra emotion. That's exactly what it yeah, is. Because yeah, yeah. it, it's like a game which is all about sensation. You know, it's it, it's like an on-rails shooter, but it's music. Like a rumble it's pack. It's a rumble pack essentially for your whole body. That's That's what it would probably be. See what, what Sounds more like you described it as a rumble pack for your bike. Yeah, it's a bit of a. They, they call <laughs> it. He Here's a good article from uh, uh, Chicken Simulator. Lay an egg from the Verge. You know it's ready when it starts vibrating. The, the Res Trance Vibrator is gaming's most intense peripheral. What did you say it was called? I think it's actually called the Trance Vibrator. <laughs> trance Vibrator. Oh, wow. trance. Looking trance. up uh, haptic vests Sounds at like- the moment. Which uh, apparently, if you play cool. like um, shooter games, you can get vests which simulate getting shot or getting stabbed. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! They must stabbing pun- like. punch you in the uh, lungs or the stomach or whatever. Get a Christopher Lee to um, be the creative consultant on that. You heard the story with the whole uh, Lord of the Rings no. when Peter Jackson was like, uh, he's like when when he gets when Sauron get Saruman gets stabbed in the back oh. and he's like, I want you to make this gurgle sound. And Christopher Lee's like, do you know what a man shouts like when he's stabbed? Because I do. And they don't make that sound. 
He was in World War Two, wasn't he? He was like in the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like in the oh, Secret wow. Service and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So Christopher Lee's given the feedback for this haptic suit. You know what a man in VR <laughs> makes sound he makes when he gets stabbed? Because I do. Uh, oh, so that was Sean. Yeah, Connery. I was just going to say, it sounds like Sean Connery mixed with Bane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, crazy game peripherals. Here you go. T- Tetsuya Mizuguchi has revealed that the res trance vibrator was his idea, but that he didn't create it with any particular sexual meaning in mind. Th- that's good. Thank you for that clarification, Costa. <laughs> yeah. I just, <laughs> I just found this article. Concerns. It says, non-sexual res trance vi- vibrator was my idea. That's, that's what the article is called. <laughs> How did he pitch that? He As says, he goes, guys, guys, I've had a great idea. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he goes. He goes. That was my idea. He says, grinning when asked about it. That was kind of a joke, but a very serious joke. No sexual meaning. He <laughs> continues. We always listen to music by ear, and you can watch the visuals moving, the dynamics in res. So it's kind of a cross sensation feeling. But where's it meant to go when you're playing? I f- I like to feel the vibration by the foot. So I think it's the feet and and the hands. It's a good balance. Some people bite them. I think that's really dangerous, actually. <laughs> We're still not sure we believe him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not like a wrist strap I think, or so, an ankle oh, strap? She must or... stand on it and play, not sit on it. You must literally stand on it and play. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It looks like it's just like a remote. Yes. Yeah. That would like fit in your hand. I don't know. <laughs> These days. I don't well, know. Maybe it's one of those things where people started sitting on it and then they had to like put warnings on the box and stuff and be like, don't, don't do this, guys. <laughs> right. It's not what it's for. The Rage Trance Vibrator. That's amazing. Someone, uh, I'm watching a YouTube video and the guy stuck it to his head. I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't know. Oh, my God. Gonna, anyway. Sorry, Lewis Hamilton. This, <laughs> we bring you up and this is where it ends up. Yeah. yeah. All right. Where to next? Mm. Well, speaking of feedback. Speaking of uh, huge vibrations, something's been exploding positively in popularity with critics and gamers alike. We're talking about Elden Ring, of has, course. Has, has anyone played Elden Ring here? Yeah, or at least... Yeah, yeah, I've, I've spent the weekend playing it. Oh, awesome. What do you think of it? Look, I suck at those games. Um, mm. And uh, I, I got to say, though, it is drawing me in. Like, I, I, my friends know I'm not a fan of medieval stuff, but this is actually drawing me in. I, um, it's a lot easier than... So, you know, it's the same kind of game as mm. Dark Souls and stuff like that. It's a lot... E- I feel like it's a bit... E- it's still really hard, but... I'm really interested to hear this UX thing, though, because I've had my thoughts on UX. So, I'm going to see where this goes. Yeah. Well, um, I follow a couple of different UX designers um, from games on Twitter and I saw this kind of narrative play out on this series of events. Uh, but basically, I saw two two quite respectable UX designers uh, or game designers, game developers and, and UX designers on Twitter. Uh, so one, a UX director from Ubisoft Stockholm and the other one being, um, Rami Ismail from, uh, who's famously known for creating press kit and also have, uh, he has his own, uh, or he is part of a, I think it's game dev world or he's, he's part of a studio essentially. Um, and they've both, uh, 
flog to Twitter to complain about the UX design in Elden Ring. Um, and a lot of developers have kind of agreed with the sentiment in saying how bad the, the UX is in Elden Ring. So, um, you know, the director from Ubisoft basically said that, you know, the fact that Elden Ring scored a 97 Metacritic is proof that reviewers don't give a flaming poop about game UX. Essentially saying my life is a lie, you know, given that he's the, the UX director. Um, uh, you know, Rami from uh, from Preskit saying, very glad to see that the lesson people want developers to learn from Elden Ring is to make UI UX bad because that's good now. What is happening here? The UI UX is absolutely atrocious and there's nothing good about it. I can't uh, fathom that you would love the game, but come on. I can fathom that you would love the game, but come on. And basically went on to say, you know, we need an we need an air of mystery that only being confused at how to close the map again can bring. UI UX being terrible is fine as long as the game makes up for it. Uh, not being able to do basic shit without seeing 5 million things you don't care about is good because that's agency. What? And basically goes on and on um, uh, saying that so it's- So people don't like the UX. Saying that it's a good game, but it's just got bad UI UX. Um, mm. And some people like Jason Schreer, um, who's a games journalist, uh, written books like uh, uh, Blood, Sweat and Pixels, basically responded with a with an image showing uh, if Ubisoft developed Elden Ring, showing this, uh, I'll, I'll put the link in, but this UI UX over the game with just hundreds of labels as you typically would see <laughs> on like Assassin's Creed, uh, you know, saying like new message of the day and, you know, press X to do this and here's where you are and here's what's happening and, you know, just all these different things, like quite a lot happening. Um, and what the sort of the thing that uh, the big takeaway from this is that the UX director then from Ubisoft then made his Twitter private and basically said, and I, I followed him. So I still can see what he tweeted. And he basically said that he similarly tweeted how bad the game, uh, uh, the I think game of souls, UXs and the Souls community, so people that make uh, Souls games, um, made a Reddit post and polled themselves, you know, just just basically gave him a lot of crap. And he got so much harassment that he essentially locked down his Twitter. And what I kind of want to explore with you guys is, you know, how do you deal with critique and feedback, given that, you know, you post something on Twitter and sure it's this person's opinion you know it's a very uh, valid opinion you know he's a ux director of a major games company and just does disagrees with you know the design of a game and yeah just it's, i mean i guess it's twitter right but yeah what are your thoughts it's i think it's interesting uh and i i would be interested to think about what happens in other industries but you have someone in an actually quite professional position here I guess in some ways representing their company, even if they say they don't, um, actively attacking another specific game. Um, so then there's pros and cons to that, which is, you know, like you said, they've got the experience to actually, uh, I suppose, properly critique it. But I guess that's not what they've done here. They've kind of said, why do people like it? It's crap. My life is a lie kind of thing. Um, which isn't a very professional thing yeah. to say, I guess. Yep. And I mean, look, professionality and Twitter are obviously not a good cocktail. <laughs> We've found over yeah. the years it doesn't mix very well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's. Uh, I want. I 
not being outside of the situation, I wonder whether that's part of why people then lumped on to you know these people from Ubisoft because it's like mm-hmm. you're you're a professional publicly attacking this one specific game that you know these specific people have done a job on. Um, it's not very professional. Yeah. 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 Especially like knowing the industry, they're in the industry. They've made it. Yeah. Um, to, to do that. Um, I will say like, yeah, the UX in that game and, you know, to the irk of someone we're going to have on the podcast soon, um, UX and UI aren't interchangeable terms, even though they get lumped like that. Um, you know, you'll see jobs higher for a UX UI designer and they are like way too, they're they're meant to be two separate things. Mm. Um, the UI in that game is not great. However, I am not a fair judge because those conf- those games confuse the shit out of me. Like Diablo, um, even Resident Evil to an extent, the newer ones are okay. But those ones where they're like, you press a menu and then you go onto another menu and then you lay out where your items go. Like this game doesn't have that, but it's in that vein. Mm. And then they all write like you've read the, the the first testament like i have no idea what's happening half the time when they're saying stuff i'm not their market though that's why i wouldn't judge them so when i saw this game i was just like ah it's just a product of me being an idiot like i don't understand these games um i want to learn it the map ui is ter- is is terrible i'm gonna say it is terrible well, i'll go with yeah. what my, my first thing was it's it like i don't know if you've seen images of it um, but it looks like an alpha version of a map. And, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, look, um, it's a map, you know, in a game. It's, I'm not spending, in that game, you're not spending a lot of time. But then at the same time, you're going, I paid 90 bucks for this game. Like, and I'm, I, they pumped out enough games that I can't imagine there's like a huge, you know, again, I'm not a fan. So I don't know how long people have been mm-hmm. waiting for this game. Mm-hmm. But it, that being said, the gameplay is great so far that i've played um i'm a casual player so i don't know these games probably but i've had a lot it's really pretty um there's a lot going on in that menu it's it's you know it's not as bad as uh a lot of um jrpgs where i think (laughs) i think classes should be run on being like don't do this and i I, you know it's it could be a thing of you know, it might be a cultural thing or something like that. But like, you know, JRPGs, we've all played them. There's no hierarchy in the information. They just go, here's everything at the same time on the screen while you're playing. Uh, it's a nightmare to like figure out if you have no idea about these games. But yeah. You know what this reminds me of a little bit um, from the music world? It's kind of like when, you know, a musician who doesn't do pop goes, oh, all pop music's crap. It's like, I don't, I don't understand why people like pop music, but it's like, Pop music, obviously, a lot of people love it, which is mm-hmm. why it exists. It's popular, <laughs> <kind of thing>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is why it's a thing, yeah. Um, and I, I, what I've always found interesting is rather than people just saying pop music's crap, is like personally, I don't get into a lot of main, let's say mainstream pop music personally, but I do find it very interesting when I see someone who's knowledgeable about music break down why they think it works or mm. like why it appeals mm. to certain audiences. So I think, you know, these guys who have this experience with uh, UX or UI, I'm trying not to put, lump them together, <laughs> um, <laughs> could use this as an opportunity. You, like, obviously, it challenges them. Um, you know, one of the guys here said, my life is a lie because they feel like, you know, 
everything they understand about uh, UX isn't right or whatever. This could be an opportunity for them to kind of actually analyze it, break down. Maybe this is doing something differently. Maybe it's actually doing something well that they don't yet understand. Mm. Maybe not. <laughs> mm. um, but then like actually come back with an analysis of it. And I think people would respect that and people would get a lot from that. Um, or they could, if they do want to critique it, they could do it as a more general thing and kind of then point to games that do things well, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. I think, I yeah. think f- to me, I think the problem here comes when they just come out and they just attack this one game and they don't actually offer anything of kind of productive value, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very easy to shit on things and and jump on a, a shit on bad bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um especially if you're working in an industry where you primarily feel underappreciated, yeah. you know, I'm sure you, you, you wouldn't mind taking a second to go, yeah, screw these guys or something like that. Yeah. But it, it just shows that like, it's like, um, it's like marketing as well, right? It's like you could spend so much money marketing an amazing game. You could make, spend so much time building the UX of a great game or something. But if the, if the content itself isn't good, like, you know, as I said, we spoke to someone who we're going to have on the podcast soon who stresses the importance of UX. And this is definitely not to decry from the importance of UX, but there has to be something in that about if a game is really good, but has terrible UX, that's still going to shine through that the product is good. Like, mm. you know, a 97 on Metacritic isn't going to lie. Mm. You know, and that's what the, he says, my life is a lie. If that's not a my back is against the wall statement, but I'm still angry and want you to take my side, mm. then what is? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because there was even someone from from Ubisoft who actually wrote something about it and basically, well, used to be a developer of Ubisoft and basically said like, I don't agree with this. Like I worked at Ubisoft for 10 years and, you know, I, I he, mind you, like this person, uh, this developer, Alex, just just wrote Alex, like I don't, I'm not sure who it is, but um, he's a designer at Bungie, I think a level designer. All right, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> we found you. Um, and, and has basically gone on to say like, I kind of, like this game because it isn't like a traditional formula of an open world game it's different in that way and that's what that's what they enjoy about it saying you know the everything from the ux to the to the the quest design is just different from like a traditional typical ubisoft game and Mm. when you look at it from that perspective you're like okay this person is probably used maybe used to probably has some critiques about the UX. Maybe there's issues with it. Again, I haven't played the game, but um, he's looking at it, obviously, from the perspective of working at Ubisoft and working on these kind of games. They have a certain mindset or um, of what they're used to for these kind of things. So, um, yeah, I guess it's yeah, it's kind of how you see it from, from what your experiences are. Um, but, yeah, always, always good to see two, two sides there. Totally, and I'm, I'm, this is something else that the Souls games do and other games is because of that uh, difficulty level, you know, you'll go and uh, fight a boss and get killed, you know, a hundred times mm. before you can actually get past it. By, yeah. by conventional pacing standards, <laughs> that's, that's a terrible true. gameplay well, experience. Yeah. But they've found an audience and a, quite a large audience actually. That, yeah. So, I mean, Cuphead did it too and people love Cuphead. Exactly. For, for that, its challenge. That's right. And that, yeah. that's that's like uh, um, something we, Alex and I spoke about with uh, next guest <laughs> that is uh, <laughs> next week. But yeah, one of the things actually being that obviously 
traditionally, when you think of a game, exactly how you said it, John, like if someone's dying way too frequently, they're going to get frustrated and they're going to, you know, quit quit the game and not want to play. And that's from a UX perspective. You're like, oh, okay, that's a that's something to note and, you know, to note that they're frustrated and that kind of stuff. But then it spins up these whole genres, which is literally that. Mm. You know, it's mm. it's so difficult, but it just it appeals to such a small, you know, or well, not even a small, but it appeals to a niche audience. Masochists. <laughs> masochists. Yeah, there's a masochists. whole lot there. I mean, you've got like bullet hell games as well, where yeah. literally you've got that very minute, you've got to move left and right to dodge where yep. you go back to the start. And it's, yeah. I'm not that type of gamer, but there's mm. a lot of gamers that enjoy that. So maybe maybe that's the important of UX, importance of UX of just like observing it and then finding a you know you find a an audience where people are actually enjoying that experience. They're not they're not hating that. They kind of like yeah. that difficulty mm. level. And I wonder whether I mean again I come from a music background, but I wonder if we will then find uh, UX. Uh, falls into kind of different traditions based along genre lines as well then. Mm. Uh, eventually, you'll have your kind of different conventions for different genres, which those specific audiences kind of get to know and kind of have that experience with and that history yeah, with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I guess it's uh, it's down to the, the experience of the designer that's working on it. If they've got ex- a lot of experience in mobile, then obviously they're used to mobile experiences and um, working with that kind of audience. Uh, and even again, even in mobile, you can go down to like, you know, puzzle games or, you know, yeah. I, if you're a designer that worked on match three games, you know, like you get so niche with it. Um, yeah, it really depends on your experience. And then say if a studio is looking for a designer, they might be looking for that kind of experience. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, um, real, real uh, briefly, um, I've had this, not debate, uh, yeah, debate with friends about, like, and I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this, John, of, like, why it's, why it feels so easy to criticize games, but harder to criticize music as in i find professional critics when they're criticizing music i think like they don't ever say you are terrible you should hang up the guitar like what you're wasting your time they just go you know oh like they'll rate it two out of five stars or something like that but they don't disparage it in the in their write-up of it they're just kind of like oh look like the worst i'll say is like you know I don't see what the hype was. I don't understand. This is what they did. But to me, it feels like they don't go after the individual. Whereas game developers, they're like, and you know, brutal. And um, uh, you're talking about I, like I, I think you're talking about uh, critics or the community attacking the both. I, I I will I will say I will say both potentially because I think any community of people could just turn sour. Like it doesn't matter if they're interested in games or music. Um, but I, well, you know what, actually uh, saying that, I think, I think a a music's community would be a lot more, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to be a lot more harmonious. And I think it's for the same reason. I think people draw a stronger personal connection with music and the person who made it rather than games. I think even though games are a creative uh, thing, I think people can still, still look at them through the veil of a corporate thing, even depending on what the team is or something, but it, it feels like people connect emotionally more with music and the artist rather than game developers like oh, okay yeah i see what you're saying um like uh, like you know how like, yeah. they went after um uh what was that game 
The one with the space exploration procedural one. Oh, oh. No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky, yeah. Yeah, like how they went after that. You know, like, yeah, I understand. They pr- over-promised a lot of stuff and they, you know, they're making right on it now. Um, well, okay, I mean, there's so so many things yeah. we could jump into there. <laughs> um, I think one thing you mentioned, though, is a lot of the time with both music and games where... Uh, the audience gets real sour about the artist is generally when that artist is more publicly visible. Um, mm. So, for example, No Man's Sky, um, I can't remember his name, but there was the lead guy in all the videos at the start making all the promises. Um, mm. So, you kind of had that specific person to direct your anger towards when No Man's Sky mm. didn't live up to it. Um, now... <laughs> In regards to music uh, not being as harshly criticized, uh, I think that's true and it's not. It's, uh, I mean, recently we've seen the games community or fringes of the games community be incredibly aggressive, uh, toxic, and even dangerous in certain uh, circumstances. Uh, mind you, though, we've definitely had people assassinate musicians uh, <laughs> over and over again. Uh, for mm. either because they hate what they've done or because they're in love with them and they won't go out with them or whatever. Um, I think, <laughs> I don't know if you guys uh, used to follow Christina Grimmy. Um, she was a YouTube uh, singer who got big on YouTube and then went on to The Voice, I think it was in her country. But she was uh, shot after one of her concerts uh, by just yeah. a fan. Um, Whoa. And in a... Another story uh, talking about how kind of toxic music community can get. Um, this was over over in South Korea, I believe, uh, in the K-pop scene. Um, there were two K-pop groups there. Uh, one was an all-guys group. One was an all-girls group. Uh, this was a few years ago, back before I think it was kind of okay to date between groups and to date as a K-pop idol because there's the whole kind of manufactured thing there where you had to be kind of single and just unattainable so the audience could fall in love with you. Uh, and what had happened was the girl from the uh, one girl from the girls group and one guy from this guys group basically secretly had an affair and it, it came out to light and people found out. And then at one of the concerts of the girls group, all the fans had arranged over social media what they called a blackout, which is basically where this girls group then came out to perform on stage during that and their first song or one of the songs, the whole audience just stood there still, didn't cheer, nothing, not make a sound, just stared at them and made this excruciating experience for them in protest of them dating. Uh, Now, from what I've heard, (laughs) I know, I know, from what I've heard, things have kind of eased a bit and it's like, not so bad anymore in that regard, but um, there's definitely aggression and toxicity in both worlds um, and in all worlds. Um, but I think in all those cases, these were public-facing figures. Um, you know, whereas, I don't know, CD Project Red maybe where they kept postponing... Um, mm. Not The Witcher, the other one. <laughs> Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk yeah. um, obviously, there was a lot of anger about that, but it was directed towards those few people who were kind of public-facing, if that makes sense. Curse you, Keanu Reeves. Well, well no everyone one ever accepts, hated him. He was, everyone accepts he was, Keanu Reeves, yeah. I know. It doesn't matter what he does. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? So. It's- yeah, and then yeah, yeah, and that's that's really good to know. I I wonder then is there a th- like a connection with that right of because uh, because then I because I'd want to know well okay what about the critics side because that's like crazed fans you right yeah. and that's kind of still saying that there's this emotional connection but aren't those crazed fans the kind of ones where if a critic was to speak out about them they would just like fiercely defend probably that yeah. that band and I mean you mentioned critics as well I mean I I can't talk about all. Uh, critics for <laughs> all music. I'm mm. sure there's all kinds. Um, I know the one of the big ones on YouTube, uh, Anthony Fantano, I think it is his YouTube page, The Needle Drop. Um, he's his scale goes from zero to ten, and he, I mean, he says that his reviews are his opinions, basically. But because he's one of the big ones, people kind of take him quite seriously. Uh, but he's definitely he's given people tens and said, you know, there's masterpiece albums, and he's given people zeros but generally he's respectful in that he's never attacking the person he's attacking kind of their laziness or his his what he thinks is their laziness or whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing so um yeah yeah the difficulty so. with with critiquing games especially on social media and twitter and that kind of stuff i mean this is more broadly than games but you get someone who has a really strong opinion, quite vocal, and people will see that and resonate or agree with it, even though they may not a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like they may not a hundred percent agree with it, and it creates mm. this. You know, I, Alex says he hates uh, Mario, <laughs> Mario Galaxy. I don't know. Uh, right? uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to think <laughs> culturally. I have to stand by him. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you, you say something like that, right? You're like, I hate it because uh, it's the story is so bad and like the gameplay is just rubbish. It's a ripoff of, I don't know, Mario 64. And I am, and I come in and I go, and I go, yeah, I agree with you. Like, cool. And it, and yeah. all it takes for me is to just go like, to like it or to yeah. comment on it. And I just go, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Alex. And then it creates this like bubble of just, you know, you know what? Then John doesn't agree with you, yeah. Costa, and he does one, and, and then you know what I mean. But it just well, creates no, this. But, uh, well, what happens on conflict. Twitter is then you retweet it, and you yeah, do and the quote tweet, tweet and you words. say, That's exactly "This right. person is full of crap," you know. But then everyone sees that original point of view, and then it kind of yeah, snowballs from there. You, ma- you make some passive aggressive tweet that's just like sigh with an exhausted face, and then you're like. Oh, I don't want to feel like an idiot. Yeah, that guy sucks. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I do something. I say, if Ubisoft developed Elden Ring, <laughs> poster, <laughs> picture, <Yeah. laughs> kind of thing. So you know what I mean. Like, but if if we, but but if all three of us sat down in a room, if if we, if all three of us were in separate rooms and played the game, and you know, we all had our opinions on it, they might be similar or they might not be similar. But I haven't seen your opinion, so I'm not going to go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, John, what you said is exactly correct. Mm. Well, funny you say that. So uh, shout out to my friend Hayden who might hear this um so you remember when cyberpunk came out and there was like so much around that everyone was like this is terrible and Mm. sony's pulling it and you know how dare cd project red do this to us i went caught up with him like a week after all that and he's like oh man i just finished cyberpunk i'm like oh really yeah what'd you think he's like yeah dude it was one of my favorite games i'm like so i mean what did you think of you know everyone's talking about how bad the glitches are and the quests are and stuff like that and he's like 
are they? <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I had locked myself pretty much playing this game and I really enjoyed the game. He said, yeah, it glitched out a few times, but I mean, like a lot of games do. <laughs> yeah. See, and that's the thing. It's almost not proportionate just because, I mean, I, again, I haven't played Cyberpunk, but maybe it's just that the hype initially behind it and the scale of what the project was yeah. um, and the expectation from, from players, like it actually... Uh, made it a lot worse than what it potentially was. I mean, it might, it probably was bad. I know that yeah. they've been putting a lot of changes in there, and but but the expectation should be, I mean, not should be, but it is. Uh, a game comes out, it's just not the like you want to play it a year from then. You know what I mean? Like the game when it comes out is not the game ready. Like that's become the expectation. It probably shouldn't be. Um, yeah. It, you know, I the mean, ga- yeah. There's there's this. I mean, I'll be cynical here as well. I think there's a both the social media kind of, uh, let's say, influencer side where if everyone's talking about it, it's a trending topic mm. and people will want to jump on that. First mm. of all, they want to do it consciously because mm-hmm. then they get attention, they grow their own channel. But secondly, I think as humans, we kind of do it subconsciously where yeah. everyone's talking about it. We want to be part of the loop. We want to be part of what's going on. It's kind of built in sides. Us, so. Yeah. Um, but if I... I'd, I'll bring up a, a movie, all right? There's a movie I love called Primer, which is like oh, a sci-fi, indie sci-fi movie. It was made yeah. for like four and a half thousand dollars. It's so good. Um, but I think on IMDb, it's like got a 6.9 or something like that. So, you know, if I'm looking through movies and I saw that and I'm like, what's that? And I saw it's got 6.9, I would go, yeah, nah, that's crap, <laughs> you know? Um but for some reason, the kind of person I am, the kind of my own personal history and everything, that movie really resonates with me and has kind of touched me deeper than a lot of other, you know, 8.0 movies that I've seen. So, mm. the that whole kind of like uh, community, I, whether it's from critics or whether it's from the community, that kind of like collective review process, it's helpful to an extent that it kind of weeds out the real crap but it does also weed out a lot of the kind of more niche things that might actually, I think, people really connect with on that kind of next level. Mm. It's it's like you have to That's, remember at the end of the day that it's just the opinion of, it's the opinion of others, but it's it shouldn't, uh, you know, shouldn't influence your opinion. Like you should try it for yourself and find out if you like it because, like you mentioned, it you might be touched deeply by it even though the general consensus is that it's kind of average. Mm. Yeah. Ah, all right. Well, before we wrap up, uh, we got the results from last, uh, last episode's poll, which was, if you guys remember, what would make a great Game Jam theme? Mm. Um, and Costa and I have had conversations since forever. I think before even the podcast was a thing of that, uh, it was more more your idea, Costa. Like, I, I definitely want to take the credit for it, of how you'd want to host your own game jam. So, mm. you know, this could be there this could be cool fuel one yeah. day or something like that. Yeah, haha. We, we we put a sneaky on all of you. We just got you to do our work for us. <laughs> no. Nah. Um, so yeah, we asked the AGD Discord, um, what would make a great game jam theme? Um, Mark Temby, Marcus from Oz, posted a book that changed your life. Oh, I like um, that. And he's yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. He said, um, I've got a few I'm thinking about of the classics, Catch-22, 1984, One Flew Over the Cookie's Nest. Um, I really want to see 1984 as a game. I'm surprised that hasn't been done. Yeah, I, I guess like the 
concept, like the core concept, like the message mm. is, you know, done in things. But yeah, the actual thing itself, yeah. Um, and then Chantel, dark web streamer, said that, you know, she'd love to see 1984 Jam. Mm. So <laughs> not just a book, just like yeah, some... Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be great. Um, yeah, Mark continues to say, I like the idea of Jam teams choosing a book they agree on um, and then doing their own thing with it. Um, a series of uh, Chantel said a series of jams each based on a chosen classic novel would be fascinating my unique contribution to a great game jam theme is the strange pet shop pet simulation detective game visual novel RTS so many possibilities <laughs> so that's cool like so yeah so I think Mark's going for the more practical like the um, like a broad like a book that changed your life mm. and then Chantel's going with a, a more direct, like, do something about a pet shop, do something about 1984. Um, yeah, no, that's that's good. Thank you for everyone for for your feedback on that. What, what about you both? Did we just cover that in the last one? I can't remember. Did we talk about what would make a great game theme? I don't know. I think we, we did. We could come up with nuances. I don't know. <laughs> I actually really like the book one. Mm. Oh, I think something based on a book would be really interesting because um, games, I I've, I've find games have more interesting stories usually than movies, if that makes sense. Like I love movies, but ga- there seems to be a, a wider breadth of stories in games, if that makes mm. sense. Mm. So like yeah, you- there, there was an indie game I saw today, which um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was, it's a basically about uh, running a haunted plant shop. That was, awesome. the, that was the game. I'm pretty sure, yeah. And it was like, you're, you're a botanist running this haunted plant shop. And so that like, for certain people out there, that's like the ideal fantasy. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I can think of a ton of people, especially in the Discord, who like that resonate with. Yeah, if you can find the link to that game, definitely you should post that. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I'm not a big reader. Um, so I, I, yeah, no, I... I mean, I'm a big fan of music. I don't know if it's a, what I would do with a music, like a like an interpretation of an album mm, or... That'd be cool. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Like... Um, I'll tell you what. Yeah. There is a... Uh, there's an album uh, which is the musical interpretation of the book iRobot. So, so you can do a video really? game interpretation of that and then you'll just be... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a jazz abstract. album, I'm pretty sure. Oh wow! It's a jazz album, yeah. and it's let, let me just find this. out who did it. Uh, yeah, the Alan Parsons Project. There you go. Oh, this came really? out. Uh, yeah, this came out like uh, 1977. So this is not oh. not influenced by Will Smith and the modern oh, iRobot at all. This is, An old this is the original iRobot by Isaac Asimov. Oh right, I didn't realize. Oh, wow, they're like a real progressive band, progressive rock band. Alan, Alan Parsons, Parsons Project. Project. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. I I want to give that a listen. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Yeah. We're all listening right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just reading up at the Alan Parsons project. Um I would have thought that it sounds like a, a like a like the James Corden show or something but in England <laughs> or something. Yeah, they I think they're like yeah, they're Why like did I pick rock. James Corden? Yeah. Um <laughs> can you edit that out, John? <laughs> I could have picked Conan. Yeah. What what's the um What's our question Lucky for Jed's gone is, ca- for today. is coffee. He's a Bitcoin fan. <laughs> Look, I, I, if you 
both don't have one. I have a potential one. I was well. I don't have one, but I was just going to add. <laughs> it would be cool to go around this uh, theme of critiquing and maybe like how to receive, receiving, like giving feedback or receiving feedback, mm. something around that. What, like ideas yeah, okay. Would you make a game that's critiquing another game? <laughs> I guess that's a parody, isn't it? Critic, critic simulator. Well, that's a whole like genre of literature, isn't it? Like, I guess parody or whatever you, you can even. I love the idea of critic simulator be like a, uh, you can either spend the money to get a better computer to reach more people, or you can buy locks for your windows for when people throw bricks <laughs> to <through> your window. <laughs> yeah, actually, that would be an interesting game because you, then you have to like do your different reviews, and if you're always giving five stars, people wouldn't believe you, and if you're always giving mm. one stars, then people would hate you. So you got to be yeah. like balancing yeah. it. You can gamify literally anything. You can. <laughs> your community would have like all the bars like your people do in Sims. So, like, you got to yeah, keep them yeah, all, yeah. like, just happy enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's gold. So, what are you thinking, Costa? Yeah, I don't know. Something. Let's pick something around feedback and um, maybe uh, – All right. Can I throw something out there based on what you are saying, Costa? Yeah, um, yeah. A game I worked on a while ago called Moira – uh, by Chris Johnson and mm. the artist whose name I c- can't remember. I'm, uh, Brad, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> Look up Moira and you'll see him. I haven't spoken to him in years. Um, but I'm going to ruin the twist for the game because you can't play it anymore. But basically, you would go into a cave and you would find... Um, you'd be confronted by this person um, and you would ask them questions and they would give you these crazy answers kind of thing about... This, this lady who had been murdered. Um, you go in further into the cave and kind of find her and talk to her a bit. Um, and then you come back out of the cave and you're confronted by this person and they ask you questions and you type in your answers. And then the game stops. And what happens is that the next person that plays the game, when they are confronted by that person, the answers that NPC gives is actually the answers given by the previous player of the game. And so I guess because you're talking about feedback, you can have ways where games kind of link people without actually them realizing it. Mm. That'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a video of Markiplier playing it. Oh, yeah. Dude, when I saw that, I, I, man, I practically screamed. I was at work. I was like, I was a big Markiplier fan at the time. And I like, I went to the server room and I was just like giggling to myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah his reactions are the best and, and it's great for that one because it it perf- perfectly encapsulates that twist because it's like the first thing you see going to the cave mm. is that person's answer yeah. and seeing them covered in blood makes you so just naturally hostile and then when they say something weird you're just like get away from me creep mm. you know mm. yeah but it, yeah I, it's a it's a that's a good one about words having impact sort of thing i don't know if that's where you're going costa though sorry <laughs> no no <laughs> well, you- whichever way you want to take it so, all right, um, like, uh, like, uh, yeah, we, we, you left this so open ended. Is it like, how do people receive feedback? You know, yeah, maybe the question for this week can be how do people, uh, how do you as a game developer, um, accept and take critique and feedback? Yeah, that's a good one. 
Yeah, and I'd be interested to hear from people if they've got healthy ways of dealing with it. Mm. Mm. Take, taking it on yeah. board without letting it demotivate them too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. That's a, that's a good one. Another one I wanted to add on to that, I think given the, the situation, the circumstances, is like if we could do two is um, this isn't so much a discussion one. It's just a... If anyone knows of any good game-related ways to help, yeah, for sure, the efforts in the Ukraine, mm. or if there's anything going on for the for the people of Russia or something like that, like a support thing. Or I, I'm not too, I don't know if it's much, but mainly for what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, uh, yeah, if there's any kind of game-related charities or charities in general, I mean, we keep it game-related. Um, I think that would be a great one as well. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. cool. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Jed, for uh, for coming on. His uh, his coffee already came up. Our coffee order came up he like left. way before. So. <laughs> yeah, he just uh, heard us talking and, and snuck out. He's uh, long gone now. Off hanging out. He got his- with uh, Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, they- yeah. <laughs> these guys are talking shit about you. <laughs> All right. Well. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, we miss you, Susie. Come back on soon. And um, John, cue us out. The music. All right, I'm pushing the music button now. Bullions is hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBullions or by emailing us at hello at LiveBullions.com.